Start to Sale is brought to you by our founding sponsor, Smart Water. What makes Smart Water delicious? It's pure, it's crisp, it's vapor distilled with electrolytes added for taste. Learn more at drinksmartwater.com. Welcome to Start to Sale, the show that invites the brightest entrepreneurial minds to answer the most pressing questions like, wait a second, I did this? In the words of David Byrne, how did I get here? Up next, we'll talk to Piera Gilardi, co-founder and creative director of Refinery29. I met Piera at a Martha Stewart American Made conference, actually. Um, we were in the green room as fellow speakers, and I was just so instantly drawn to her totally down-to-earth, disarming persona. She's someone who's done so much, but she was just so relatable. Since then, we've kept in touch, and I loved every hangout where we have truly shared some stories from the trenches of running a biz. Um, but also taking time to hang and have fun that has nothing to do with work. Turns out she's actually a pretty good bowler. We sat down with Piera and discussed her personal growth and how she went from self-deprecation to really owning her own talents and how her willingness to just be herself and be transparent, and I'm not just talking about transparency with numbers and metrics, but really emotionally, um, about her life and with her team, how she deals with change in ever-evolving media landscape has helped her guide the rise of Refinery29, which is now a behemoth of a media company. A moment from our interview that really struck me was when she said, Sometimes I walk in like, and I feel like, oh, I'm, just, I'm going to my job, employee at Refinery29, and then I'll be like, oh my god, I built this city. It's this insane. is wild. It yeah. is wild. Yeah. It is like the size yourself. of a small town. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, like, yeah, it's just hard to expand your mind to take in sometimes what you've achieved. Despite all the proven success, she's constantly reckoning with her own personal growth and identity. And I think the ways she shares this with her employees really actually makes Refinery healthier and ultimately more successful. Erin, when you and I have chatted, you've talked about not sugarcoating entrepreneurship or hiding how you feel about the stress and truth of building a business. Do you ever feel like you woke up one day and look around and think like, holy shit, like, what have I built? What have I done? Um, yes, every day. <laughs> I really, really identified strongly with everything Piera said. I think one of my biggest personal challenges is accepting my own success. It's such a hard thing for me to do, and I, I can't pinpoint what in my life has led me to that point. But um, a big learning lesson for me has been to take those moments and think about the fact that Eight years ago, I was working at a nonprofit, working in nine to five, sitting at a desk and being miserable. And now I have five stores, 60 staff, millions in revenue. And I, it, it's obviously there's so many people that have helped me along the way. And there's so much that has gone into it. But also, it's partly me. You know, that success is partly me. And it's 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 something that I have had to learn to accept and also in that acceptance, it makes me feel better about what I do. And the more I can accept that in a way that's honest with myself, I think the more I can pass that on to my staff and the more I can pass that on to my business partner who also has the same sort of issue. Um, and I think it's really important because it's it's sort of a self-love, right? Like it's really important to appreciate your talents and what you've built. And it, and it's a really hard road to get there sometimes. Also on the other side of imposter syndrome, I think it's really cool to just realize like, wow, like all these people are spending 
the majority of their day making what kind of started as a crazy dream of mine a reality and to just, you know, kind of turn the imposter syndrome into gratitude wherever you can. Oh, totally. I think that's a very good point. Let's get into it with uh, Piera. I think this is a good point to stop and start the interview. Thanks for having me. One of the things that we wanted to talk about today was that progression from not being confident in who you are and what you're doing to being confident in who you are and what you're doing. And a while back on Instagram, you talked about um, an interview that you had regretted wherein you offhandedly had put yourself down. And the result was titled Six Lessons from a Creative Director with Zero Work Experience, Um, despite the fact that you actually had a whole lot of valuable work experience. Um, So tell us about that headline, where it came from exactly, and how it affected you and how you thought about yourself and how you presented yourself to the media. Yeah, so I think at the time of the interview, I was going through a particularly acute bout of imposter syndrome. And I, yeah, offhandedly said, oh, I have no experience to be doing what I'm doing. And it resulted in a headline that said I had no experience. And subsequently, in every interview that I do, including this one, <laughs> but in a different context, different. This, is different. this is different. But, you know, in, yeah. in many subsequent interviews, people ask me about my lack of work experience, um, which drives me bananas because I have a ton of work experience, but it's it's no one's fault. It's not that interviewer's fault. It's not, you know, the subsequent journalist that asked me that question. It's my own damn fault because I said I had no work experience. And I think it, you know, I think that comes from imposter syndrome, which most self aware humans have. Um, And also, and I think it's particularly gendered and acute for women. Totally. And I think that as women, we often feel the need to credential ourselves to this unrealistic level like you kind of think about often women will feel like they need in order to apply for a job they need to hit every single requirement in the job description whereas you know I mean this is this is a generalization but you know whereas I think men are more comfortable saying well I have most of these criteria so I'm going to apply for this I will learn that when I get there I will learn that when I get there Um, and so I think that you know it was a big lesson for me A on not you know, not putting myself down um, and be on, you know, recognizing my own experience as valuable and realizing that I have a lot of credentials that I don't give myself credit for uh, because it was only when I saw it in print that I discredited, you know, I said, that's just not, that's not true. It's not true that I have zero work experience. You know, not only have I been building this company. It's not just a company. It's a huge company. Right. Not only have I been building this huge company from nothing to where it is today, um, which now is 14 years of on-the-job experience, I also had years of experience before that in media and creative. And and so anyway, I think it was was a lesson that there's a difference between being humble and being self-deprecating. And it's also the world will beat you down. The world will doubt you. Um, And it's really our own jobs to build ourselves up and to give ourselves that credit and to work on our confidence. Um, I think, you know, I'm someone that's very transparent and I I value vulnerability in the work that I do and other people. 
So I don't think it's that we shouldn't talk about our imposter syndrome like we're doing right now. I think it's important to talk about imposter syndrome, to talk about self-doubt, to be vulnerable in that way. Um, it's just you have to think about the context that you're talking about it and making sure that it's you're talking about it and recognizing that it's that it is what it is, that it's imposter syndrome, that it's something that you need to conquer. It's not the truth. Um, because for me in that moment, I had I had internalized it and made it my truth. And that that's really damaging. Um, so I think that's, you know, that was a definitely a big lesson for me. I've heard you say it's almost like you should talk about yourself the way almost imagining it's not you saying it like yeah. a, a, another advocate would be would be talking about you and talking you up. That sometimes has to be you being your own cheerleader in that way. So true. I remember when I was growing up, sometimes if I would say like, oh, I'm so stupid, my mom would go, how dare you talk about my daughter that way? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and it's funny. I mean, my mom, my mom also often has a hard time like taking compliments or she'll talk negatively about herself and we both helped each other to get to a better place like I taught my mom a few years ago how to accept a compliment um, <laughs> all those years and then she has to you know she has to teach me the lesson that I taught her right you know sometimes you don't <laughs> see it yeah of course you yeah you don't see it in yourself what I found that I was doing for years was I someone would ask me about the company that I was building and I'd say, oh, well, you know, we're doing really well. We've raised money. We're cash flow positive. But I've made so many mistakes. I mean, it's been really hard. And always sort yeah. of like showing what I had done and built followed by, but I'm not that great. Almost like a Tourette's thing. It, it really was. <laughs> too. And I have a, a wonderful mentor named Will Rosenzweig. And he one day was like, why do you constantly – talk about what you do and follow it with something negative. It's such a strange habit. Mm. And I don't think I ever really realized that I'm a very jokey person. I like, you know, poking fun at myself. But there is a difference between sort of not taking yourself too seriously and not taking yourself seriously. Yeah. And that's something that I had to learn too. And I just, it was very hard for me to accept that anything I did was good. And it was a very pivotal moment for someone who I really respected to point it out to me. And then I started having, I became ultra self-aware for a while right. where I was like, why am I doing that? Oh my God, I need to stop. Because it comes off, it can come off, especially in a business situation, as insecurity. Yeah. And that that's the death of a leader, right? Especially when you're trying to present yourself to media or investors or clients. Um, I had just a very similar moment where I was like, I need to stop doing this to myself because ultimately it's also bad for your own ego. You know, it's yeah. not... It's doesn't you, right, it becomes you have your to reality. build your own yeah you have to build yourself up internally so yeah and I do think you hit on an interesting point about there is definitely some gendered stuff going on with imposter syndrome I tell a lot of female colleagues or especially women in business I mentor like I think sometimes what women consider bragging is just how men talk yeah <laughs> you know it's oh, such a different absolutely. Standard. Um, and totally. I think so getting into specifically about about women and and because that's so much of your your team and your community, um, how how does the experience you had with that? Like, how has that affected how you interact with them, whether it's your audience or your team? Do you do you really find that to be also an issue within the culture and you try to, to kind of break them from putting themselves down or not speaking up enough or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the things that you learn for yourself 
it's all for a reason, you know, then you're able to see those things in other people and be able to point them out and help people through them. Um, there's a great chapter in the Feminist Fight Club book uh, called WWJD, What Would Josh Do? <laughs> and it's about conducting yourself like a, a mediocre white man. Um, oh, yeah. I and, love that saying. And if I only had the confidence of a mediocre yeah. white man. It's so but true. it's so it's a really helpful chapter to read, whether you're a man or a woman. It it really it's very instructive as to sort of the ways that we conduct ourselves and yeah a lot of the habits that we have yeah i think that anyway read read what would josh do it's a really good chapter in the book and i found <laughs> it very helpful and I, I i think about it a lot um but yeah i think in the company you know everyone's different it's amazing i learned so much from the people that work for me um and i see so many different types of leadership styles with the people in the company and it's very it's it's helpful because you see you know you see certain things that are incredible that you that you aspire to emulate and you see things that you know you want to help people work through um you know, like when I see other people that have imposter syndrome or self-doubt, I'm actually really good at at helping people through that as someone that's gone, you know, continuously goes through that myself. So, yeah, I feel like the things that we struggle with then end up being the things that were most useful helping other people yeah, through. Yeah, the empathy. Yeah. How many pe- people do you have on staff now? Um, with freelancers, almost 500. Wow, that's amazing. That was just a random question I was curious about. Yeah. Um, it's so wild. I know sometimes I walk in like, and I feel like, oh, I'm just I'm going to my job, employee at Refinery Twenty Nine, and then I'm like, oh my god, I built this city. It's this insane. is wild. It yeah. is wild. Yeah, you it have is to like the size yourself. of a small town. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Like, yeah, it's just hard to expand your mind to take in sometimes what you've achieved. And I also feel like sometimes that's why we try and counterbalance it is because we're actually afraid of our own greatness. We're afraid of our own achievement. Totally. Um, And you can't, like sometimes when you get to another level, it's just hard to even process that that you're there. Right. It's Um, like a shock. Yeah. Totally. Have you, I mean, you have such a large staff. Is there a way that you feel like you can bring everything that you've learned to every single person that walks in through the door at Refinery29. You know, how does, how do these emotional experiences, I mean, you're very open, you're emotionally honest, and people connect to people because we see ourselves reflected back, yeah. you know? Um, how do you bring that not just to the media and your social media, but to your staff? Yeah, I think I try and do it by being emotionally honest, being vulnerable, Um you know, and then I've tried because now there's so many people. It's such a big difference between sometimes I, I think, oh, if only I could go back to when we had 20 employees, I would be so good. <laughs> we want to talk about you that, know? actually. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with that many employees, it's, it is sort of thinking about what are kind of the systems that I can put in place and the touch points that I can put in place to impact people. Uh, so some of those are I have a monthly creative meeting where I gather you know, anyone anyone can attend the meeting, but it's largely the people that are working on different creative teams. Um, and in that meeting, I usually open with what I call my soliloquy, uh, but I open sort of giving some perspective as to what I've been out in the world seeing and, and how that relates to the work that we're doing. I try and help people to see the meaning of the work that they're doing. So, you know, maybe I'll tell them a story about, you know, 
someone who loves refinery coming up to me on the subway and and gushing to me about how meaningful the work that we do is to her. Or, um, you know, recently I told them about going to a paid family leave think tank and and having this big conversation about the fact that that media and culture actually drive policy change. And so sort of helping them to see where we sit in actually changing culture and changing policy and changing people's lives. Um, so I try and help people to tap into that that meaning, the meaning of what they're doing, helping them to see their, their place in that because, you know, often when your head's down, you're getting your work done, you don't necessarily – you're not able to zoom above yourself and see yeah. what you're part of. Um, so that's something that I really try and do with the team. The and soliloquy, th- I love that. The soliloquy. <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to say for the soliloquy? Um, so, yeah, trying to help people see the, the perspective. But then I'll also speak honestly. You know, sometimes like the last creative meeting, August is always so – such a busy time for us, and I I find that people get super burnt out because they we have summer Fridays. Um, it's summer; they want to live their best life and and take advantage of summer. So they're they're doing that, and they're they're taking their summer Friday. But as a result, they have half a day hour Monday, yeah, to Thursday. Yeah, so. they have like they they have less time to get work done, and we're super busy. So just every year, it's this cycle. So. I, I also try and use that time to speak honestly about that. So for the August one, I was like, guys, like this is a historically big burnout time. So you may, might all be feeling end of your rope and just like I want you guys to find a self-care buddy. And because when we're at the end of our rope is often when we forget or we make excuses why we can't take care of ourselves. And, you you know, you have to you have to find that balance. So I just try and encourage them to do stuff like that. And then – this is a really long-winded answer. You can cut no, me off. No, this is – and no. the more the merrier, honestly. Yeah. People feel like they probably have to hide most at most companies what you're saying. You know right. they're going through. So just to call it out and make it okay already, I feel like, kind of disempowers it to take over. And yeah. that's really, really – that's awesome. That's really smart. I think that would be an amazing lesson for anyone listening. Yeah, exactly. It's just calling out, you know, being transparent and honest, yeah. not pretending everything is perfect and allowing them to acknowledge in themselves that – Something is something is hard. Something is challenging. Um, I think helps them to address it. If I can just say too, I think mostly when I think of transparency in business, and for a lot of people potentially, my mind goes to being open with the numbers and the right. metrics and the goals. But you're talking about something so different, which is, you know, really just using your words and the fact that you've been doing this for this long. You know it like the back of your hand. August is coming. This is going to happen. Yeah. And so it doesn't always have to be, I think, transparency about like something in the financials or something. It can be the emotional side. So I think that's really cool. And it, it changes, I think, our perception of what transparency means. Yeah, and I also think I have found that my staff feels the best when we don't hide the hard times. And there are always hard times when you're building a business, yeah. especially in the beginning when, you know, there there were moments when we were like, is this going to work? We don't know. But instead of hiding that from people, we'd be like, hey, guys, we're not sure if this is going to work. We <laughs> all need to, if you believe in what we're doing, can we bind ourselves together and go crazy and knock sales out of the park and reduce costs and all of those things that affect food businesses? And looking back, the hardest moments oftentimes feel like the best moments in the history of the company Mm -hmm. because we, instead of retreating into ourselves, tried to rally around the issues. And that 
really brought people together in a good way, even though we they were hard moments. Yeah. In the end, we all like I have a we had this crazy time in 2014 and the staff that were working with us still say, wow, that was so crazy. But it was also the best. Yeah. Because we all felt like we were working towards a goal together and we were being honest that we might fail. Yeah. You just mentioned that you try to get people you try to remind them that what you do changes lives. What does that look like to you? What kind of lives do you want to change? And how? <laughs> oh, <laughs> getting deep. So for us, what we're trying to change is we're trying to change the way that media and advertising represents women. And as a result, change the way that women feel about themselves and help women to claim their power. Um, so what we what we hear from our audience is that, that they, you know, seeing our content, reading our content, makes them feel less alone, makes them feel validated, makes them feel represented, gives them inspiration and fuel and information to really excel in their in different areas in their lives. Um, so that's what, I mean, that's the main thing we're trying to change. We're also really trying to change who has access to opportunities. Um, so we have a women's film initiative because we want to get more women behind the lens we that's the shatterbox shatterbox yeah um and we've done a lot of different projects to visually change the representation of women from actually creating our own stock archive you know basically stock photography was really not doing women any favors (laughs) with how we were being represented not only was the imagery you know the stereotype is white women laughing into salad bowls uh (laughs) so true so there was not only was it yet like kind of these cliche type of images, but um, we also just saw such a lack of representation. And even things like when we were looking at what images of plus-size women looked like, in the majority of the images of plus-size women, they were measuring their waist or standing on a scale. So their weight was the subject of the image versus the weight being an aspect of the image, but where they were the protagonist doing other things. So that was something, you know, that was a project that we took on. Actually, very early on, um, we started shooting our own staff, um, and then we started going out with model casting cards to just make sure that we could really represent women of all types. And um, and then we started our stock archive collection, and then we actually extended that with a partnership with Getty so that we could not only change the way women were seen on our site, but that other in brands— In the largest stock photo company in the world. Exactly. Yeah, amazing. So we started a, a no-apologies collection with Getty because we don't think women should have to apologize for who they are or what they look like. That's Absolutely. awesome. Can I get an Amen. Amen. <laughs> Start to Sale is brought to you by our founding sponsor, Smartwater. So we both run businesses, manage the day-to-day, and now host a podcast. We're working hard, and so does Smartwater. It's vapor distilled for purity with electrolytes for taste. It's water that helps keep us hydrated as we work hard. And look, you work hard. And you deserve a great-tasting, hydrating water. Learn more at drinksmartwater.com. When you're able to create content that successfully resonates with your audience and potentially shift culture, how does that impact your bottom line? For us, really connecting with the audience in the way that we did built built up the audience and that helped us to get the interest of advertisers that wanted to connect with the millennial women audience. We 
We also proactively went out to a lot of brands and said, you're getting women wrong and you're ignoring women. And this is a huge market opportunity. You can't win without women. That was our that was our tagline. We went out to tons of brands and said, you can't win without women. And awesome. Yeah. And, and true. You know, and then we've worked with tons of huge brands, helping them to do a better job of speaking to and representing women. So that's that's been how we've built our business basically is really doing our doing the work ourselves to understand, represent, and speak to our audience in a way that they want to be spoken to, and then helping brands do that as well. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Um, going to kind of a, a different direction for a minute, there's definitely been some pivots with refinery in the past that involves switching strategies, but I also imagine a pretty good change for you. Um, if you can just talk about what different roles have been and how you've gotten comfortable with them. And I think it's interesting, even what you mentioned earlier, which is just about having that nostalgia maybe for, oh, was there a time that felt simpler and and that felt great and you kind of look back on it, you know, uh, or are you always kind of like looking ahead to what, what it's going to mean and what the next thing will be? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's interesting because I feel like in the business world, the word pivot can be used as a dirty word. Um <laughs> But I think what's what I always find paradoxical about that is is that the world is always changing. So if you don't change, like it's pretty likely that you're not gonna you're not gonna be future proof. Totally. So, um, but yeah, we've had we've had a lot of different shifts in our strategy and responsive shifts to what's happening in the world. Um, I mean, when you think about it, we launched fifteen oh, no fourteen years ago. And when we launched, Facebook was still for colleges. Um, I think Twitter had just launched. There was no Instagram. You know, like it was just a totally different landscape. So as the com- company Almost has pre-smartphone grown, a bit, right? Or I th- on the early days of it, I think maybe. It was I mean, 15 years ago, I did not have a I mean, most I people not say most people did not have one probably. Yeah, most, yeah. People, most yeah. people did not have a smartphone. What kind of ice cream were people eating back then? I don't know. What Neapolitan. <laughs> it's a sad time. Yeah. A sad time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, when we started, it was just such a different landscape. So we've we've definitely, as we've grown the company continued to shift the way that we do business, take on new things, try things, some things, you know, some things didn't work. We've tabled them. Um, and I think for me, I we kind of started and I wore every hat imaginable, which I think both of you can relate to. That's totally. just what you do. It's, you know, you have to. I love hats. I love hats. I actually, <laughs> it's I actually love. actually true. I love I a hat. I look good in a hat. <laughs> I'll, I'm happy wearing all the hats. Um, so yeah, we used to joke. Uh, Christine, Philip, Justin, and I. Those are my co-founders. Uh, we used to always joke at Refinery Twenty Nine. No job is too low. As we were lugging out the trash, or Philip and Justin were trying to install a, a, an air conditioning unit that they got off of Craigslist. <laughs> um, but in the in the beginning stages, I would do everything. I I wrote, I coded content, I took photos, I did design, I did Google Analytics, I moderated our comments, like anything that needed to happen. But how did you do that with no work experience? (laughs) (laughs) Screw you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just figured out how to do all these different things so that we could 
do what we wanted to do, which was something that there really wasn't a roadmap for at the time. There were so few, there was really nothing out there that was really doing what we were doing. So it was kind of the wild, wild west, and we were figuring it out as we went along. And that's a very comfortable place for me. I, <laughs> I, I have many, many interests. I love being spread too thin. I love kind of jumping around and doing different things. So um, I'm a builder. You know, I it for me that's like the greatest joy is is building something, figuring it out, it feeling like an impossible challenge, and and that thrill and adrenaline of doing it. What's amazing to hear that that's hmm. re- that just makes me feel like well, you are a real entrepreneur, and you've been able to keep that entrepreneurial spirit that you have within you alive over 14 years because of those pivots and because you guys are such a nimble company. Sometimes when founders get worn out, it's like, well, I've just been doing the same thing every day for Mm. many, many years. So it's really interesting to me that you've been actually able to harness the love of change into the company that you've been building. I like that's a nice interpretation. <laughs> yeah. But really. But I love change. I, I'm awesome. the same way. I keeps you going. Me too. Yeah. That true, true startup moment. It's really lightning in a bottle because there's so much energy there, like you said. And also you're truly creating something out of nothing and you have the courage to do it. And it's so important to kind of hold on to that energy, I think, as the company matures. Yeah. Um, You've talked a lot about that blank canvas. And yeah. so maybe also the change brings that blank canvas for you. And then you feel like you can kind of recreate what the vision of the brand is, what your role is. Is that is that kind of what that's about, do you think? Or Yeah, I, lo- I love change and I love a challenge. I love when there's a problem for me to solve or there's, you know, some some clear parameters to create within. So as we've grown the company, my my role has changed has continuously changed, and I've taken on basically the new territories that we uh, – oftentimes I'm taking on a new territory for us to grow into. So um, I think when we started 29 Rooms, that was that was such a thrilling time, again, because it, it was that blank canvas. We had no idea. We, we really hoped that it was going to work, and, and we you believed. you sold ovenly cookies there. I just want to oh. point oh, that nice. out. There's a lot of cookies. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, when we started 29 Rooms, it definitely was that 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 thrill of building again. Um, we didn't know if we were going to be successful. There was a lot of doubt within the company, and it was a definitely a hard sell to sponsors as well because there wasn't really a, a comparative right. type event out there. Okay, so you were wearing a lot of hats in the beginning, and then there's this huge evolution with the brand. Can you talk about where you are now with your role and are you always in control of what your role is? Because this is something that happens with so many friends in business now is like sometimes their role changes because they decide, but sometimes there's other people deciding. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been a emotional roller coaster building a company and my role has shifted so much over time. And there's been points where I felt really great about that and points where I didn't feel as great about it. Um, yeah, in the beginning, I was wearing all these different hats. And then over time, focus more into what is, you know, what are truly my strengths, which is really on the brand side, vision, and leading creative. That was a comfortable transition for me, because as much as I loved wearing all the different hats, Google Analytics (laughs) isn't necessarily... Uh, the place where I'm best best suited. But yeah, over time, I started to be able to focus more on my strengths, um, but also had to learn a lot of new skills like leadership, management, um, 
you know, how to rally people around the goals and the projects that we were doing as a company. Um, but then as we grew, you know, in the last couple of years, we've grown so much. And there was a moment where basically we were looking at the organization and, you know, several people on our executive team said, Pierre, I don't think it's going to ma- it makes sense for you to manage the creative teams um, because creative and content are so interlinked. So we think that our chief content officer should manage all of the teams. Um, and it took me about two years to get through the grief of that decision. Mm. Um, it was it was one of the hardest times in our company because I think it didn't it didn't it wasn't in my control really. Um, I fought the decision. You know, at the end of the day, other people felt that that was the right that was the right choice. And I think um, I think what was hard about it when I look back is the well, twofold. One sort of you know your ego. You want to hold on to something that seems that seems powerful in some way that you that you that you're personally responsible for managing a lot of people. Um, and I think the other thing was sort of having a shift in my own mindset of basically managing people versus influencing people. And um, that was that was a really hard transition for me. And yeah, it took me about two years to work through it and get through to the wow. other side where and I actually feel that it's been um, it's been something that's been really great for me and it's been something that over time I've I've settled into and I've started to understand more and have built, certain systems around in in order to be able to have that influence because I still am responsible for the creative output. I still, you know, have a huge stake in our brand and where we're going with our brand and making sure people are on board with that and understand it and can execute it. But I'm not personally responsible for managing each and every one of those people. So it's just a huge shift in mindset. I'd been working at that point for 10 years to learn how to manage creative people. And then it's like, okay, you're not managing creative people. You now have to inspire and influence creative people. So I often call myself the fairy godmother because I create the force field. I create the inspiration. I educate people. um, I guide them. I lead by example, but I, but at the end of the day, they don't they don't report to me. Right. And Sounds kind of like a dream. I'm like, I know. <laughs> it, Can I have that job? It's so no, but I. No. It's, I, it's, it's it makes complicated. Sense. It's, yeah, it's complicated. of course. Totally. And I think when you're a founder, you make every decision for so long. Yep. And in fact, that's exhausting. There's decision fatigue. Even I'll have like the tiniest question my team will ask me. I'm like, I just literally cannot make another decision yeah, today. I've, that and then absolutely all of a that sudden, happens to me. Right. And then all of a sudden that is taken away from you even if it was exhausting yeah. it's it's a i think it's a huge kind of mental block to get around and yeah. it's great that ultimately it was good i mean it it pushed you to change in new ways well yeah also the converse of decision fatigue is letting go yeah right if you have your hand in every single decision of the organization from what type of lacroix flavor you're going to serve in the office mm. to <laughs> which investors you should be talking to the opposite of that is not having control over all of those yeah. things. And it definitely takes a change in mindset to get there. I'll yeah. always control the LaCroix, though. <laughs> Letting yeah. go is, is is really hard. I don't think I was ever a control freak, but I have a very clear vision of you know our brand. A very clear vision, period. I just have a very, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have a very clear vision. 
And so letting go is is challenging. It's been a really challenging process. I mean, it's been a long process because even when I managed people, there were many things that I had to let go. I actually remember this this particular moment where not only myself, but but my co-founder, Christine, who's our editor-in-chief, she and I were both at one point, this is going to sound so ridiculous. Um, don't judge me. <laughs> I'm sure that it won't. At, at one point, we were both approving every opener image, so every image that was on the homepage for every story. Um, wow. And people would have to get us to approve them via email. One of us would respond. The other one might not respond. And it was just – it was a shit show. Um, it, it didn't make any sense. It had We had the best intentions for it. We were just trying to do quality control and make sure the content was good. Uh, but we got to this point, and, and someone, bless them, kind of pulled me aside and said – they were very timid in telling me, but they said, I think I think it's time that you and Christine talk about this and maybe there's maybe there's some streamlining that we can do here. It was it was a very important moment for me because I I thought, okay, how do I how do I get myself comfortable with letting go um, of this small thing? And how do I get Christine comfortable with it as well? And so I looked back at all the emails that we had, you know, on these chains of opener approvals, and I saw the major the major themes that were coming through in our feedback, and I basically put together a filter for a any, rubric. Yeah, yeah, I put together a, a decision making filter. I was like, you know, the image should have a clear focal point. It should be easy to parse, whether it's small or full size. The images that you choose should have diverse representation in them. Because when I looked back, there was five themes that came up again and again and again. So mm. that that small thing really shifted the way that I thought about how to manage people, but also how to let go. Um, so that's that's been instructive as I've as we've grown. You know, now even with things like our our brand values, everyone has to operate using our brand values and understanding our brand values no matter what role they're in, whether they're ordering snacks for the kitchen or setting up a big partnership. So uh, another thing that we've started doing is doing these brand huddles. So we essentially set up these work sessions with people where they come and each one we talk about a different brand value. So we'll have someone, we'll have a special speaker from internally who will speak about one of the four eyes impact individuality imagination and inclusivity and so someone will come and you know we'll have our creative director from events speak about imagination and his creative tips for getting um, unstuck and then we will kind of go around the room make sure that every single person gets to talk about how they exercise imagination in their day-to-day and then we'll have some kind of real life challenge that they solve together thinking about how they could infuse imagination into their work on the day-to-day. Um, so we we do those regularly and different people come and it's a way, it's just a way, A, it's a nice respite for people to have an hour to talk about inclusivity and talk about what that means to them personally and their experiences with it and hear other people's experiences as well. Um, it's very think very connecting and bonding and kind of like a you know I think about also sort of the example of a college campus of how do you how do you facilitate and workshop these important conversations in a way that feels safe that feels like you're giving everyone a chance to participate and that helps them to really deeply internally understand 
what you're talking about, but find it for themselves. Um, so as as my role has shifted and I'm thinking more about these bigger ways of influencing people, it's totally changed the way that I operate. You have three partners, one of whom is your husband. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure all of your roles have changed significantly over time. How has that affected your relationship? Amazing, by the way, that you're all still partners. The band is still together. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. It is. You have defied some serious odds. Yeah. I'm basically married to four people, or three. <laughs> I'm married to myself too. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's, um, that's typical. Yeah, all of our all of our roles have had to change. I think the good thing is that we always had fairly defined areas of expertise and fairly defined um, territories that we fit into. So I I feel like that's part of what has allowed us. What to, are your roles now? What are your titles now? So Philip and Justin are co CEOs. Um, Philip tends to be more focused on the content and tech side. Justin has been more focused on the advertising side of the house. Christine is our global editor-in-chief, so she really oversees our editorial voice, um, our content. And then I'm executive creative director, so I oversee the brand. I mean, Christine is definitely my partner in the brand as well. Um, but yeah, I think about the brand, the design, the photography, as well as the new places that our brand is showing up, whether that's products or big events. Mm-hmm. It shows how much listening you're all able to do also because to have two CEOs where in theory there's no tiebreaker yeah. and then there's four of you where once again there isn't. I mean, you really have to be willing to come to, I don't want to say compromise is like a negative thing, but you have to be able to all get on the same page for yeah. something to move forward. Yeah. Because you've been together for so long and you've stayed married, where do you think you guys are now? Like, you must have a really tight bond. And, you know, how has that evolved? We definitely have a very tight bond. I think, like any relationship, our company has gone through ups and downs. Our relationship Mm -hmm. has gone through ups and downs. Um, I think that for us, it's been about sparring without parting. Yeah. You know, being comfortable with challenging each other, being comfortable with calling each other out when we need to. Um, but having the love and empathy to stick together and to, you know, we all, I think we all know when one of our partners is calling us out that it is done for the benefit of all of us and it is not done with any kind mm-hmm. of malice. And yeah, we have such a, we have an incredible bond. We've been through so much together. We know each other so well. I think knowing someone, because we, Christine and I actually worked together mm-hmm. in my previous lack of job experience. <laughs> um, so she was the uh, executive editor at this magazine called City, where I started as an intern and worked my way up to being photo director. So we had already worked together um, and knew that we had a really great creative partnership. Um, she has amazing ideas. I'm a builder. I'm able to really have have the vision to carry an idea into execution. So that was always, and we and we bring out great ideas in each other. So that was always something that we knew we had. And then Philip and Justin went to high school together. So they're very old friends, um, and Philip and I are married. So uh, know each other very well. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's really, you know, it's interesting to see someone, to know someone personally and know them in the workspace. And I think it's something so incredible to get to see that person grow in that mm-hmm. way. Um, you know, for Philip and I, yeah, being married and working together for 14 years, we've been through so much. And it, it's amazing in so many ways because 
it's not like I go home and my, I'm just like, oh, I'm off the clock. I'm not thinking about work anymore. I'm not having ideas anymore. Um, so to be able to kind of always have someone to bounce those off of or build on each other as ideas or help each other figure out how to how to approach something is super helpful. There's definitely times where I'll, you know, I remember this one time I got into an argument with someone and I came home and I was telling him about it and he immediately, I mean, I guess this is also like a dude thing, but he immediately went into like trying to solve the problem and he's like, well, you know, that person is under this, you know, under stress because these market conditions are like this and blah, 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 blah. And you should probably, you know, he's giving me all this advice. And I was like, I was like, I just want you to say that person's a jerk. Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, yeah. I definitely can relate to that. Yeah. You especially know? being married to my co-founder as yeah. well. And that's very true. So you're like, sometimes I'm just venting. Yeah. And I just want you to say, just give me a hug or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just venting. Yeah. I just want you to say that person <laughs> sounds like a jerk. <laughs> you're awesome. Yeah, I won. Yeah. <laughs> but being that we're both married to our co-founders, yes. there is... Uh, something else we will have in common quite soon, which is you're going to be having a baby. Um, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. Um, can you talk about how you're feeling about all that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so excited. I can't wait to meet her. Um, it's been a long time, a long time coming. It's been a seven year project. So, uh, yeah, mostly just feeling very excited to welcome her into our lives. But I'm also I have no idea what my life is going to be like. Like, I'm trying to plan my parental leave. Philip and I are both trying to plan our parental leave. And at first I was so delusional. Like, we're doing 29 Rooms, our big mm -hmm. event in L.A., December 5th. Our baby's due November 20th. I was like, I totally can go. <laughs> and I was, ta I was talking to some moms in the office, and they're like, yeah. They're like, Good luck. Mm, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Think again. Um, so I think it's for me, I'm someone that I, I I have big ambitions and I never feel like I'm doing enough. I always have like 10 things that I want to do on the back burner and, you know, I have seven business ideas that are incubating for the future. Um, so I think that's probably going to be the thing that's the the trickiest for me is, is finding that balance of I, – I also think like I – I want to be an amazing mom, so I'll have, like, a lot of goals in that department and then a lot of goals in the work department, and it's just so hard for me to say no to things, um, and it's hard for me to— It's a new pivot. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's so hard for me to say no. I'm always scared if I don't take an opportunity that no more opportunities will come, um, which I, I don't know. I feel like I'm always, like, a teenage girl in Maine that just, like— is like yearning for the big city and yearning for culture and yearning for opportunity. And so whenever anyone asks me to do anything, like I, I just always say yes. So uh, I think it, that's going to be the trick for me is not is learning that I can't do it all um, and that I need to actually pick and choose and prioritize and be okay with that and not feel like a failure as a result. I think you will find you're going to be very efficient with your time. So in a way, there's things that, you know, you might get done more and have more time for other kinds of tasks and yeah. whatnot. So you just never know, like you said. Never it's, know. Yeah, it can I go so no many idea. different ways. I have no idea. Yeah. I know. And the other thing is I don't know what she'll be like. So I was telling, talking to a friend and I said, she was like, what are you most excited about? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm just so excited to do, you know, when she's a little older to do creative projects with her. 
And she goes, well, if she's into that. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, like, what? Oh, oh my God. I was like, oh, yeah, she's not, she's a, like, she's not uh, going to be a mini-me. She's going to be go her. to a baseball yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be her own person with her own interests. And so. Or she could be a total mini-you. <laughs> she could be. But, you know, either like way, either way, too. it's cool. She's going to be a Scorpio. It's either way, it's cool. She's going to be a Scorpio, and I'm an Aries, and those are not, you know, not the most <laughs> compatible signs. But I don't, I don't, you know, I don't believe in that being so hard to find, you know? Right. Uh, so exciting. Anyway. Very excited for you. Yes. Congratulations. I think it's time to wrap up. This has been an amazing conversation. We're wrapping up already? We're wrapping up. At the end of um, every show, we ask our guests to share one skill with us that helped them build their business. So that's how we're going to end today. Do you have one that you can share? And if you do, how would you break it down for our audience? I think the skill that I would share is vulnerability. And for our business, that's really been about listening, um, having the vulnerability to not feel like you, you know, to not have all the answers and to actually listen to people. Um, so that's been, that's meant really listening to our audience, shifting, you know, shifting things and being open to changing our own ideas when we realize they're not working or they're not resonating with the audience or, um, internally, I think also the vulnerability to admit what we don't know and ask for help and ask questions um, in the beginning as we were starting the business. we There were so many things we didn't know. There were many things we didn't have experience with. Um, none of us went to business school. None of us had – I don't even know what what type of experience would have allowed us to do what we did because there weren't really businesses like ours out there. So, you know, I don't think there were there were credentials to be had, but we had to we had to be vulnerable enough to admit what we didn't know and to ask for help. Um, And I think for me, as I grew in my role, as I started growing into being an executive, I felt really uncomfortable. I remember sitting in these meetings with people that we had hired that had a lot more experience in the corporate world than I did. And they were using all this jargon and language I didn't know. And I, at first, I didn't want to admit that I didn't know it because I thought they would, you know, they wouldn't respect me or they would see that I was a huge imposter. Um, And a big lesson for me was I finally thought, like, I, I started to internalize this feeling of being imposter, being a kid at the adults table. And I finally said, well, how am I going to get through this? I just... I need to I need to admit what I don't know. I need to be vulnerable enough to ask questions because otherwise I'm not going to learn this weird language that they're speaking and all these acronyms. And so the interesting thing was I started to ask questions. I started to say like, you know, what is this? What does this acronym mean? What do you mean by that thing that you're saying? And I really thought people would would basically laugh in my face when I started asking these questions. But the amazing thing that happened was when I would ask the questions, other people around the table would lean in and be interested in the answers, or they would come up to me afterwards and thank me for asking the question or say, oh, wow, that's such a good question. I had no idea what they were talking (laughs) about. Um, So I think for me, that was a lesson in that actually vulnerability can be a a strength in that way, too, Mm -hmm. that you can help other people when you're vulnerable enough to ask a question, to admit that you don't understand something, to admit what you don't know. Um, that it can actually open up a lot of space for other people. Awesome. That's great. And, and I think for us too, with the with the content that we've created, when we when we started Refinery, we were we we wanted to talk about style, but not in this not in this 
rules-based way that was traditional in fashion, where it was really designed to make you feel bad about yourself. We wanted to talk about it in a way that was about self-expression, that was about identity. And as we started to build the company and the content that we were creating, we were really focused on on kind of letting the seams show, like talking about things that people didn't otherwise talk about, things that were things that were taboo, talking about periods, talking about miscarriage, talking about all these different topics, mental health, things that people weren't talking about, we wanted to talk about. Because um, those were the things that we were talking about, you know, with our with our friends and with each other, but that we didn't feel were being represented or were being represented in either. Like when we started talking about sex, we're like, we don't want to talk about sex like Cosmo, where everything has a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to it. And it's all about, you know, pleasing your man. And we don't want to talk about it the way that if you Google it, the things that come up are, which are, you know, scary, scary and medical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just want to talk about it in a real, honest, vulnerable way. Um, and that was something that was so, that really caught on with the audience was having that, you know, being real and relatable, being vulnerable to just go at those taboo topics in that way, I think was something that no one was really doing at that time. Yeah. And I think what's really amazing about that skill is Unfortunately, at least in our culture, we often associate vulnerability with weakness. Yeah. But vulnerability and being able to show how you feel is actually courage. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an amazing skill. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming today. I've learned so much talking to me you. Me too. I wrote so many notes. Really? Yeah. Oh, that, that makes me so happy. Thanks for listening to Start to Sail. We really want to hear what you're getting out of the conversations we're having with these wonderful entrepreneurs. And we want to know what you want more of. Are there entrepreneurs that you love that you want us to talk to? Is there a resource you need? Feel free to send us an email at hi at starttosale.co or direct message us on Instagram. I'm at Aaron Patinkin, and Natasha is at Natasha J. Case. We'd love to hear from you if you've been able to apply anything from Start to Sale episodes to your business. We'll be continuing the conversation on our website, starttosale.co, where you'll find resources and more. And of course, we'd love a review in whatever podcast app you use. Tell us what you think whenever you can spare the time. We'll talk to you soon. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up to the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste.